Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. We continue our walk through the book of 1 Samuel. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream each week. We continue to have so many people uh, join with us uh, all over the world uh, via our live stream. We're grateful for every one of you. Also want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall in Reach Church DeSoto. We're grateful the Reach Church mission team made it back this weekend. We're grateful for your service to the Lord, and we can't wait to hear uh, what God did through uh, your team. And I, I want to encourage you as well, be praying for our Nicaragua mission team uh, that left this weekend. Pastor Kelly leading a very large group down there with Project Hope to do work this week. As uh, you continue through your week, make it a point to pray for them and God's protection and provision on their behalf. Well, we come to 1 Samuel 16 just to kind of catch us up to speed. Uh, if you've not been uh, here thus far, uh, I hope at some point you'll have time to go back and listen to the previous messages. But uh, uh, I want to catch you up to speed just a little bit here. Uh, you'll remember that the nation had rejected uh, Samuel, uh, really they had rejected God. Samuel took it personally. God said, they haven't really eject, rejected you. They've rejected, uh, they've rejected me. Um, they had wanted a king uh, like the nations. And God gave them what they asked for. In fact, Saul's name means you asked for it. Um, God designated uh, that Saul would be king. Um, but his choosing of Saul was in accordance with their desires, uh, is in accordance with his plan. But this is what they wanted, and God gave them that man. Um, Saul, he started out okay, had an initial victory, but uh, very quickly afterwards, his life would be marked by disobedience to God's word. Uh, he rejected the word of God, and therefore God rejected him. As we left off last week, God has kind of officially said to Saul, you're fired. Uh, the kingdom of Israel has been torn away from you. It's been given to your neighbor, someone's better than you. Uh, you're done. So even though Saul will continue in his role as king in somewhat of an official or technical uh, state, uh, God's hand has been removed from his life. And uh, you will not see him move in repentance. You will only see him move further and further away uh, from the Lord. And so he has rejected Saul, and Samuel is grieved. We left off last week at the end of 15. Uh, Samuel was grieved. The Lord was grieved. Um, but right around the corner, God had something great in store. Um, God in 1 Samuel 16 is going to begin to raise up a leader. He will be the greatest king of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Uh, he will be a king that will become the standard against which all other kings uh, will be measured. If a king was faithful, it was said of them that they walked in the steps of their father, David. Uh, here we will see the beginning of David's uh, rising up to greatness for the glory of God. Um, Maybe you pray in trivial pursuit and somebody asks, uh, or the question is asked, where's the first mentioning of David in the Old Testament? This is it. 1 Samuel 16, 13. And David, um, man, what a great man. Uh, he will lend his name to Messiah. 
the Messiah will be known as the son of David. He'll lend his name to the holy city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be known as the city of David. He will write the greatest book on worship in all the world. Um, But how does it begin? How does it all start? And I think this is so important for us to understand. David is going to be great for God. He's going to, I think the greatest earthly commendation a person could ever get is that God would say about them, they're a man after my own heart. What is it about David that makes him great? How does it all begin? Isn't this great about God's word? We can go back to the beginning. We can see how it all got started. Right here's how it got started. And there's a couple of things that I want us to see. They're so critical. If if any of us are gonna be used by God, if any of us are gonna be great for God, it's gonna involve these two critical elements that we see right here at the beginning of David's earthly reign. So with that in mind, let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your word. And uh, we do so humbly this morning. God, I, I don't know where everybody has been this morning. I don't know what they are going through. I don't know what they have been through, but they're here. Maybe they're in DeSoto. Maybe they're watching online. Maybe they're in the venue service. And I don't know the circumstances of their life, but you do. And we pause right here and we humble ourselves before your word. This is no ordinary book. This is not a history book, although it is set within the context of history. This is not just a story. This is your word to us. So, Lord, give us ears to hear, to hear your truth. Make it alive to us today by your spirit. Make it alive. Illumine our hearts, illumine our minds to the truth of your word and change us. By means of your spirit and your word, mold us and shape us. God, challenge and Discipline those who need it. Encourage, uplift those who need it. Speak into all of our hearts today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we left off last week, Samuel was grieving. We pick up this week in chapter 16. He's still grieving. We don't know how much time has passed. Chapter breaks. We know we're at it much later. So we don't really know, but here we find him again grieving. Look at verse one of chapter 16. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. God comes to Samuel. Samuel has been grieving and God does not chastise Samuel for his grieving. He just says, how long are you gonna grieve? Not why are you grieving, but how long are you going to grieve? And it's obvious that Saul's rejection of God has deeply hurt 
Samuel's heart, we get another glimpse into the heart of Samuel. The heart of a great leader, the heart of a great servant of the Lord is one who invests his individuals in so much for, so for us as leaders and disciple makers. Our success is, is tied up to a large extent in the people that we, we seek to invest in and we seek to inv- develop. And, and when we invest in someone and they walk away from God and they reject God, it hurts our hearts. Samuel wanted Saul to succeed. He wanted him to see him go on and do great things. All of us, if we're leaders, if we invest, if you're a teacher, what is your greatest joy? What, what your greatest joy is seeing your students grow up and succeed. And your greatest discouragement is to see your students walk away. Samuel's hurt. You see the heart of a great leader. He's grieving because Samuel or Saul has rejected. But it's not, I don't think it's just about Saul. I think he is grieved over the state of the nation. I think he sees this in many ways that the nation is reverting back to the days of Eli with Hophni and Phinehas because now we have basically zero godly leadership or you have rogue leadership. You have rebellious leadership that's not walking in obedience. And Samuel knows when you have ungodly leadership that's not walking in obedience, guess what? You have sheep without a shepherd. And that's what I think he sees. Much like Jesus when he saw the nation of Israel without any true godly leadership. And says he he felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think Samuel's heart is grieved because he sees a nation that's got no godly leadership. And he longs to see the glory of God demonstrated through this nation. And so his heart is grieving, he's discouraged. Things haven't worked out in the way in which Samuel had hoped. Uh, I think in his mind, if he had written it out, if it had been his plan, man, Saul would have loved the Lord. He'd have walked in fellowship with God and he would have partnered up with Samuel and together they would have seen the glory of God demonstrated and the blessings of God bestowed upon his people and it would have been great and wonderful. Well, that plan, that dream has now died. It's obvious to Samuel, that dream's gone. It's dead. It ain't gonna happen. God has declared it. God doesn't change his mind. And God comes to Samuel and what does he say? Stop crying. Fill your horn with oil and go. What God is saying to Samuel is that my purposes and my plans are not stopped on the basis of one man's disobedience. God is reminding uh, Samuel, things might not be working out according to your plan, but they're working out perfectly according to my plan. I knew this was going to happen. I selected Saul. It's all my story. Now fill your horn and go because something great is right around the corner. Stop crying because I've got something better. You're about to anoint. Samuel has no idea, but he's about to anoint the greatest king the nation will ever know. Right around the corner. But he's grieving over the death of a dream that he had in his heart. And, and I had to stop there and just think, I don't know if this is encouragement to you, but this is some of what God deals with me on, is I have a tendency, I don't know about you, but when things don't work out like I want or plan or dream, I tend to mope and whine. 
uh, I tend to get a little discouraged. Oh, it's all going to nothing now, Lord. It's all the plan has broke. And I think so many times, and God is teaching me this. Chad, if you'll just hold on to me, I got something better right around the corner. My purposes and my plans are not dependent upon earthly men and women and the circumstances of your life. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe things haven't worked out. Maybe you're in a place where you're grieving over the death of your dreams. Maybe you would be encouraged by the words that God gives to Samuel today. Fill your horn with oil. What is the fill? It's the joy, olive oil, the joy of the nation. I got something better. You just follow me. And he sends him to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time here because it's not the main thing. But it is significant, and I think these are things that to me show me the beauty of God's word. Bethlehem should, we should, this should cause some things to start clicking. Bethlehem, we see that a lot. We've seen it prior. And in Bethlehem, if we had time this morning, Bethlehem doesn't have a great beginning. It's got some bad things in its past. But the, the story that should most uh, prick our hearts this morning is how it relates to the book that immediately precedes First and Second Samuel. What is that book? It's a book about a woman. It's an important book, one we often overlook, but a book that's very important. It's the book of what? Ruth. I was beginning to wonder if anybody knows the books of the Bible. We need to go back and learn them. Ruth, the book of Ruth. And Ruth, that book is so important because she's gonna be in the lineage of the Messiah. We gotta figure this out. Well, how's it gonna work? Well, you remember Ruth. She's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Her husband has died. Naomi's husband's died. Now, she's going to go back. Ruth is a Moabitess. She's a Moabitess. Naomi's going to go back to Israel. She's going to go back to Judah. And Naomi says, you don't have to go with me. And Ruth says, no, 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 no. I've made up my mind. I'm going with you. And, and your God is going to become my God. In other words, that book is written there to let us know Ruth may have been a Moabitess, but she converted to Judaism. She changed churches. <laughs> she says, I, I, I'm, I'm all in with God, and I'm going with you. I'll go wherever you go. I'm going to follow you. And so she links up with Naomi, and they're going back to Judah, and they stop and settle down in what city? Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, she will meet up with a guy named Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. It's a beautiful word. And Ruth and Boaz are going to join up, and they're going to have a son named Obed. And Obed's going to have a son named Jesse. And Jesse's going to have eight boys, and one of them's going to be David. Isn't God's word glorious? It all links together. And then if you fast forward another thousand years, there's going to be another king, another shepherd, born in an obscure little town called Bethlehem. And he'll be the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And it'll occur in accordance with God's perfect word. So that's just a nugget, that side. You didn't pay for that. I'd say on the side, all right? I just gave you that as a freebie this morning. But doesn't that just show you the beauty of God's word? So he sends him to Jesse, the, the Bethlehemite, and, and uh, 
He says, for I have selected, the end of verse one, I've selected a king for myself amongst his sons. Now, I think this is so important for us to see. You work your way through this text, and it's important to remember that David is God's king because he is God's choice. You cannot get around it in this text. Over and over again, God is going to declare, I've selected, I have designated, I have chosen. So just keep that in the back of your mind and hold it there for a moment. Look at verse two. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I love this. Uh, Samuel says, God, I want to obey you, but I also don't want to die. And uh, the fact of the matter is, if you know geographically where he's coming from, if he's going down to Bethlehem, he's got to stop through Gibeah, and Saul is in Gibeah. And if Saul sees Samuel with a horn full of oil going through his town, he'll perk up. And at this point, Saul has already gone rogue. I mean, he is off the reservation. He's gone mad. He is paranoid. He's worried about everybody around him. He will sleep with a bodyguard. He will sleep with his spear. Uh, he'll try to kill David. He'll even try to kill his own son, Jonathan, if he thinks that they're a threat to his reign. So we're going to see this guy. He is, he's lost it. He's gone mad. Uh, there's an evil spirit. We'll talk about that next week. But Samuel says, I know this guy. I know where he's at. He'll kill me. Now, if I had been God, thankfully I'm not, but if I had been God, I would have said to Samuel, dude, you just hacked up Agag. What in the world are you scared of? Just man up and I'll take care of you. And would have God taken care of Samuel? Yes, he would have. God is not leading him to Bethlehem in order to kill him. Much in the same way I was reminded, you remember the disciples, Jesus sent them to the other side of the sea, and they go out there, there's a storm, and he, they said, don't you care that we're going to die? You know, Jesus, listen, I didn't bring, I'm the one who told you to go. I didn't lead you out here to kill you. Well, God didn't tell Samuel to go to kill him, and God could have taken care of him. But I love that Samuel is just honest with God. That, that I have a heart to obey you, and yet at the same time, I'm fearful. And, and, and Samuel, the more I study this guy, you, you begin to take these men and you put them up on pedestals and you just think, man, this, the more I study Samuel, I'm so amazed by this guy. But you know why I love this passage? Because it reminds me at the end of the day, he was still just a man. And he got scared. Can you and I, in our regular daily seeking to obey the Lord, can we sometimes get scared? And following God and acting obedience is not always easy and we can be a little fearful. And this is what I love about the God we serve. Because God doesn't get mad at Samuel. Samuel's just being honest with God and God bends down in his grace and will create a situation that alleviates Samuel's fears. God is not uh, endorsing a lie here. God just sees his servant in his own weakness, having difficulty trusting God, and God will, in his grace, create a circumstance that alleviates the concern so that Samuel can then work forward in obedience. Listen, I can't tell you how many times in my life when I knew what God wanted me to do, and I was scared to death, and I prayed, God, I want, I hope you know, I want to obey you. I'm scared about what this will mean. 
And I love the fact that we serve a great high priest in Jesus Christ who sympathizes with our weaknesses and we serve a God who sees us in our weaknesses and will often bend down to our level and create circumstances that alleviate our fears in the midst of our obedience. Boy, what a great and gracious God we serve. And so God creates this circumstance and and Samuel, it says in verse three, uh, you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one whom I designate. Verse four, so Samuel did what the Lord said. Isn't that refreshing? Samuel did it. He, he says, God, I'm a little fearful. God says, I'll take care of it. You just take a heifer with you. If somebody asks, you're just going down to sacrifice. It's not a lie. That's what you're going to do. And Samuel doesn't hesitate. He got up and did it. He did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? So they come out, they're fearful. A couple of things. Number one, why do you think they're trembling? I think potentially word has gotten out about what Samuel did to Agag. And they're thinking, he might want to cut some of us up. Uh, And that's why they say, you come in peace. Uh, This is a man of God. Uh, And You know, Matthew Matthew Henry in his commentary says this is how we should respond to the word of God. That when we come to the word of God, we come with trembling. And we come saying, do you come in peace? God, do you have issue with my life? I want you to expose it. So these are good men. They're coming out trembling before Samuel. Do you come in peace? In verse 5, he said, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So we're going to have a sacrifice here. The elders of the city are there. Uh, Jesse and his sons, they've consecrated themselves. They're going to enter into this time of sacrifice. Still no mention of David. David's not there. We don't know if David knows this is going on or not, but David is nowhere to be found. You know, if you look at the circumstance to this point right here, and you don't know how it's going to work out, Do you think David has any chance of becoming king? Remember, you don't know the rest of the story. You're reading it for the first time. You're just seeing this. What if I told you, I think David's gonna become the king. People would say, you're crazy. He's not even there. Nobody even sees him. Nobody knows about him. Au contraire. (laughs) Somebody does see him. And God will move. So they're here, they're having the sacrifice. Look, verse six, when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, it's interesting here because it doesn't tell us what Eliab looked like, but certainly there's something about Eliab physically, externally, that causes Samuel to think, this is the guy. Now, I think, this is my interpretation, but I think he remembers back And when Saul, God told him, you're going to meet up with a guy and he's going to be my king. And when he met up with King Saul, King Saul was a very impressive man. And that was the guy. God said, this is the guy. And so I think that that Samuel is now beginning to think if God chooses somebody, they've got to be physically impressive. And so he makes the assumption that something about this guy physically externally qualifies him to be king. Surely this is God's anointed. This is This is the one God wants. In verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
You know, we, we make decisions based on externalities. We, we, we make, when, when we're in an interview process or a hiring process or an election, oftentimes we'll look for the most physically impressive person. We want those people. We tend to like those people. We tend to think those people are going to be great. That's how you and I operate even when, even when we have the best of intentions, listen, even as a staff, when we're going through an interview process with somebody, you can't, ha- I mean, we have, when it, you go through the process, you have to look at resumes, you have to look at past experience, and we're doing the best we can. We often say there's qualities, heart qualities that we're looking for, but unless you've been around somebody for a long period of time, you you have difficulty even knowing their heart. And even when you've been around somebody for a really long time, can you really know a person's heart? No, we can't. We're just doing the best we can based on externalities and all those other things. And God's saying to Samuel, I don't make decisions like you. Those physical things, they don't, they don't impress me. Those things don't, don't matter to me. That, that's not what I'm looking for when it comes to men and women that I use. So he says you can't, you can't base your decisions on externalities or physical appearance. Well, look on in the story. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? Basically, we we have an issue here. (laughs) God said that one of your sons is the one that I'm going to designate, and you're out of sons. You got any others we don't know about? Any other kids out there? Well, what did Jesse say? He says, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is... Tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, sit down and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes. We're not going to move a, a, a moment. We're not going to do anything till, till that guy gets here. Where is David? He's tending sheep. He's out there where no one can see him but God. He's the least likely candidate. Tending sheep, the runt of the litter. And the question is, does anybody see him? And the answer is God sees him. There's an important lesson here that I think if we miss this, we're gonna miss something really big. When it comes to people that God uses, It will always be people who are faithful even when no one is watching. When it comes to the people that God uses, there will be people who trust God and are faithful even in the little things. Tending sheep, the job that nobody else wants to do. While everybody's eating, he's out tending sheep. The job nobody else wants to do, the job that quite frankly no one is really watching God says, I'll take that one. Listen very clearly this morning. You want to be used by God. Be faithful right where God has you today. 
no matter how small, no matter how seemingly insignificant, you be faithful. Uh, when I think about this, I can't help but think of uh, uh, Pastor Steve Dighton, our founding pastor, when he was serving, uh, he was serving bivocationally at Lightning Ridge Baptist Church. I can't even remember exactly uh, where it's at, but a little, little bitty church building. And his friend was O.S. Hawkins, and he would call O.S. and say, I don't know, I might be here at Lightning Ridge forever. And, and uh, O.S. would encourage Pastor Steve. He said, God knows exactly where you're at, and he knows how to get a hold of you. He can call you if he wants to call you. And Steve said, he can't call me. The church don't have a phone. Uh, I mean, it had nothing. Just this little bitty church in the middle of nowhere serving bivocationally. And you would think, how would anybody find out about this guy? Nobody sees him except the 30 people that are coming to church on Sunday. But you know who did see him? God. And I'm telling you, you can mark it down and take it to the bank. Those with whom God can trust little. Eventually, he'll trust with much. I don't know where you're at today. If you're in school, if you're a student, you be faithful and you pursue excellence right where you are at. Because if God can't trust you in those little things, why would he give you big things? You know, we, we listen, I, I want to be careful here, but we talk to guys who want to be pastors. And... They're starting out in seminary or they're just finishing up seminary and they want to be the lead pastor of a church of 300. And our response to them is, where are you serving at right now? What are you doing right now? Are you in a church? Are you serving in that church? Because listen, if we can't trust you to serve in the church as a layperson, why would we trust you when you're getting paid? And we're going to see this in David's life. You don't get to be a good colonel until you learn to be a good lieutenant. And so he's going to have to be faithful. He's just right there, tending sheep. God sees him. Are these all your sons? No, I got one more. Go get him. Verse 12, look at this. This is funny. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes, handsome appearance. And his Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now this is funny because God had just said previously what? Appearance don't matter. And then the first thing we find out about David, he's a good-looking dude. And you think, God, what is it? Do physical appearances matter or do they not matter? Listen, when it tells us what David looks like, it's reminding us. Because here's what sometimes people mistakenly think. They read that physical appearance don't matter. And then you read passages like 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. It says, for consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you were wise, mighty, or noble, but God has chosen the base things and the simple things. And, and, uh, and if we're not careful, we can mistakenly begin to think that the only people that God uses are dumb and ugly. Now, he can use those people. Praise God, he can use those people. But when it tells us that David was handsome, what God is reminding us all of here today it doesn't matter if you're smart or don't have a high school degree. It doesn't matter your physical appearance. 
It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your job status. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you graduated from. All those physical things, listen, they don't help God and they don't hinder God from achieving what God wants to do. Those things in God's economy, we put a lot of weight in those things, don't we? We do. We don't mean to sometimes. We don't want to. But we put a lot of weight in physical appearances and things and externalities and all that stuff. God says, none of that stuff matters to me. When I choose, God is saying, when I choose to use a person, nothing about their external appearance is going to be the determining factor of their greatness in my kingdom. And I think, what an encouraging word to us today. You'll read on, and it says in verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. God is going to, listen, there's two things here that we gotta see. God, in his sovereign grace, is going to choose David. Remember, again, doesn't matter if versus physical attributes, any other thing, intelligence, all those things. When it comes to be used by God, it, it requires two things. The combination of God's sovereign grace within a heart that will love, trust, and obey God. Nothing else matters. It's so important to us, because I think that when we look, look at this story, if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that David was God's great king because David was great. Listen to me. David is God's great king, not because David is great, but because God is great. And God, in his grace, chose in his sovereignty to, to put his hand on the youngest of eight boys and say, I'm going to use this guy. And when God's sovereign choice was combined in the heart of a young man who just loved God, whew, the possibilities are limitless. And the beauty about David is that he never forgot these things. See, I, I, I think the tendency is that when, because let's be honest here, all of us, if we know, if we know the Lord this morning, if we're a believer, it's not because we did anything that so impressed God that he said, boy, I gotta have that guy on my team. There was nothing about David that God said, boy, if I don't have him, the whole thing just goes. No, God just did his song. Okay, so I'm gonna use him. I'm gonna put my hand on his life. Listen to me, if you know the Lord today, you didn't do anything to earn it, you didn't do anything to achieve it. God just in his sovereign grace chose at some point in your time, you didn't wake up one morning and say, today I'm getting saved. And today I'm gonna think my way into this. And today I'm gonna put all the logic together and I'm gonna follow the Lord. No, you were just walking through life. I don't know where you were at, but you were walking through life and God in his sovereign grace chose to touch the heart of your life so that you saw the depth of your sin, you saw the beauty of his love and you were so overwhelmed you couldn't help but give your life to Christ. And you started following him. Now here's the danger. We move beyond that and we begin to think that, uh, yeah, now I'm something special and God's gotta have me. 
The interesting part is Saul was God's choice. But the sovereign grace of God in Saul's life didn't lead him to humility and worship and service. It made his heart proud. For those of us that truly knew the grace of God and his work in our life, it humbles us, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I often think that there was a, a, a young man in, at SBU, Dr. Dutil's class. He was teaching through the book of Ephesians. This, this, this young man, he was paralyzed from the neck down. And uh, Dr. Teal was preaching through Ephesians chapter 1, that run-on sentence that just tells us of God's abundant love and, and his grace and choosing us before the foundation of the world. And that young man, after class, went to Dr. Teal's office and he said this, and it gets me every time. This young man paralyzed from the neck down in his wheelchair that he had to move with his mouth the control stick for his chair. He goes into Dr. Till's office and he says, I don't know why God would choose me, but I sure am glad he did. Do you feel that today? Because I have no idea why God would want me. I have no idea why God would want to use me, but I sure am glad he does. That's the grace of God. That's the sovereign grace of God. It's what it does in our lives, and it moves us to worship and obedience and to trust. David never forgot this. In fact, I want you to look briefly as we close. Look at the end, 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23, we see the beginning of David's life and God's grace bestowed on him and his selection as king and then he'll move forward in his life. But I think it's so beautiful because we see these same qualities at the front end of David's life and then we're gonna see them at the tail end of David's life because this is his final words. It won't be literally his last words. He'll, but this is David knowing he's going to die and it's calling his family in and these are the things that David wants his family to know and understand about him and prayerfully these would be the things that we would want our family to know and understand about us. Look at verse 1, 2 Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David. David the son of Jesse very first thing, you know what, he, he never forgot where he came from. David was a man who never forgot, I'm just, I'm just the youngest of Jesse's eight boys. The man who was raised on high. Meaning There's a clear point there that David was not really the one who raised himself up. David is gathering his family. If anybody had an opportunity at the end of his life to brag about what he had accomplished, David was one of them. I mean, all of his family's gathered around. The guy's got more wealth than he can possibly imagine. He's got a huge palace. He's got horses. He's got everything 
But what he wants his family to know is I was simply the youngest of Jesse's boy and a guy that God sovereignly in his grace for some reason or another raised me up. The anointed of God of Jacob. And then that, my favorite part, is the sweet psalmist of Israel. I think of all the titles for David, that's my favorite title. David says at the end of his life, and it's a great study. We'll get there in a couple of years, and we'll look at it. And <laughs> but in this beautiful God causes David to bring his family and record it for us. And David says, family, you need to know some all this. The palace, the money, the gold, the horses, that's not who I am. I'm just a man that God in his grace chose by his sovereignty to raise up. And I'm just a worshiper. I'm just a lover of God. We're going to see David. He's a musician. It's interesting to me, wherever there are men and women of faith, you'll often find it accompanied by music. Worship goes beyond just music, but you will see it in David's life. The first people that David sings to are not people, they're sheep. But David would just sit out from under, under the stars of heaven and he'd say, what is man that thou art mindful of? The son of man that you, you know what David's saying? I have no idea why God would care about me. But he does. And when an understanding of God's grace was had taken root in the heart of a man who said, I'm just a worshiper. He would do great things for the Lord. God cares about you. If you're here today and God is working in your heart, it's because God in his sovereign grace is choosing to work in your heart right now. And what he'll do is he'll open your eyes to the depth of your sin and the beauty of his love in Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brethren, in light of the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual, your logical act of worship. Paul is saying the only logical response to this kind of mercy and grace bestowed on sinners is to just give all of your life back in worship. If that's you this morning, I encourage you, bend the knee to Jesus. Trust in him and just worship. Wherever you're at, wherever he's placed you, be faithful. You might think that nobody's watching. God is watching. And God has ways of raising us up in his time for his purposes. I think of Mikola. It's not like Mikola just started being faithful when the war broke out. Mikola was right there, a little church, just serving God, just loving the Lord, loving his congregation, loving the people. And war breaks out. 
And uh, I'm sure Mikola could have said, I'm out. And Mikola said, now's the time. For such a time as this. And God places his hand on a man's life who loves him and is serving him. And through Mikola and his church, this little church, God is doing more than they ever thought possible. That's the God we serve. Father, we thank you that you delight in using any of us. We delight in the fact that you are not restrained by our physical attributes and our physical attributes bring really nothing to the table in service to you. What matters is your grace bestowed upon us and men and women who are willing to love you, trust you, and obey you. God, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, it could be that right now, by your sovereign grace, you're working in their heart. I don't know, but you do. You know them, you know where they're at right now. They know, maybe they sense it in their heart through the proclamation of your word and the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart. The Holy Spirit right now is revealing sin, righteousness, and judgment. I pray that your kindness would lead them to repentance. They would turn from their sin and they would turn towards you. They'd bend the knee, make you Lord of their life. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we'd be faithful right where we're at. In whatever circumstances, in whatever situations you've placed us, it might not be our plan, it might not be what we wanted, but you've placed us there in accordance with your purposes. Joseph never wanted to be put in prison, but that's where you put him and he was faithful, and you raised him up. Right now, wherever we're at, I pray that we would serve you in faithfulness and trust you, knowing you have ways we know not of. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.